We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 in our Bible study time today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Make sure and take those notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have some that you can use or borrow or have today. So just wave at them as they go down the aisle, um, and they'll give you one. And as you're finding your way to Matthew chapter 25, um, I, I just want to give you a quick review of where we are uh, in our church right now, moving up to Easter. We're in a series called Imago Dei, which is a Latin phrase that means image of God. And basically, we studied last week from Genesis chapter 1 that you and I are created uniquely in the image of God. And the closer we get to Jesus, the deeper we get spiritually, the more we have the nature of God in us and the more we reflect who God is in the world. And we said one of the ways we reflect God best is by giving. John 3.16 says this. It's one of the most famous verses in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we say the more we look like God, the more we begin to give of our life and the things in our life so that others may know Jesus as well. And as we step into Matthew chapter 25, we learn a story not just about giving, but about giving back that I want to share with you and teach you today as we move through this series heading towards Easter. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, Jesus has been teaching about the end times. His disciples in Matthew chapter 24, as Jesus was leaving the temple, um, asking him what it was going to be like at the end of the world. They said, what's it going to be like when the world ends? What's it going to be like um, when nations are against nations at war? What's it going to look like when everything comes to a close? And Jesus begins to tell a series of stories about what the end of the world is going to be like. One of those is found in Matthew chapter 25. And he says it's going to kind of be like this, starting in verse 14 again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The one who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 24, then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you were with us on Christmas Eve, you heard me tell a story about my wife's birthday at the, uh, at the Legends this year. I took her up to the Legends Outlet Mall, and we went shopping. And as we were leaving the Legends Outlet Mall, we got back to our car, and there was some money laying on the ground. Um, six $20 bills that were rolled up, literally almost laying under my back driver's side tire. 
And I picked it up and I looked around and there was no one anywhere. Um, and I yelled to Danielle, hey, Danielle, did you drop some money? She didn't as we put the stuff in the back of the car. There wasn't anyone walking out any of the aisles. And I thought, man, someone, someone obviously has dropped their money here, but it's cash. What are we going to do with it? Um, we said, man, do we take it and turn it in? And I told Danielle, it's cash. Whoever we give it to is probably just going to keep it. So let's just call, um, call the security place and just let them know, hey, if anyone reports any lost money today, give them our number um, and we'll connect with them. And we did that. But deep down, I was hoping that no one would call for that money because who doesn't need an extra $120 on your wife's birthday of all days? So we went through kind of the rest of that day. Um, and as we go along, I've got that money in my pocket. It's burning a hole in my pocket, even though um, it wasn't mine yet. Uh, and as we're going to dinner that night, Danielle gets a call from a number she doesn't know. And she says, somebody's calling me that I don't know. And I thought, oh, no, it's probably the people who dropped the money. And sure enough, it was. It was a lady um, who went to the security booth. Um, we told her where we were parked. So I was parked here. I dropped this. It was the exact amount of money she dropped. It was folded up just like um, they said it was, and we said, yeah, that's us, we found it. Where can we meet you to give you your money back? And we found out, like I told you that night, it was a little 14-year-old girl who somebody who was kind of mentoring her was taking her Christmas shopping for her family. It was all the money she had, and she dropped it getting out of her car. We were able to give it back to her. But even in giving it back to her and how good it felt to give back to her, um, I, I, I continued to kind of think as I got the dinner bill that night, as I gave Danielle the rest of her presents, man, I... I could have used that money. And I felt like God kept whispering to, in, into my heart to get my attention. But that wasn't your money. But Christian, that wasn't your money. And I, yeah, but I could have really used it. But it wasn't your money. But that could have paid for dinner. But that wasn't your money. And I felt like God had to keep repeating that phrase to me. That wasn't your money. You need to know as a pastor, I'm very sensitive talking about giving because I know your money is not my money. I know your money is not our church's money. And I know really your money and your giving as an individual is none of my business. So it's not that I don't like talking about giving, but I'm sensitive because God has reminded me as a pastor, when I get up to talk about giving, your money is not my, give, my, is not my money. And I need to be real sensitive towards you to have you do what God asks you to do, not what I'm telling you to do. So I understand your money is not my money. Um, but it's important at this time in our church to talk about this spiritual discipline and the impact that this can have on our church and on our community spiritually. And as I told our church last week, this is a real good time to talk about this subject for a couple different reasons. One, we don't need your money. Our church is doing great financially. Um, if you don't give, you don't have to give. We don't need you to give a dollar to help us do anything right now. We're building a building that's going to be built and paid for. If everyone who, who pledges, if everyone who pledges gives what they pledge, we'll, we'll actually have more than enough money to finish our building. We don't have to take any more offerings. Um, one of our finance guys told me in the back last, um, just a few hours ago that we will have the largest February that we've ever had in giving, which follows the largest January that we've ever had in giving, which follows the largest year that we've ever had in giving. I'm not preaching on giving because we need some money, and, I, and I'm thinking I can manipulate you by sharing you some verses because we need more money. We don't need your money. I, I don't want to teach you about giving because we need your money. But here's the reality. The Bible says... That when you try to preach the gospel and talk about giving at the same time, that people will say no to Jesus because they think all you want is their money. And some of you are brand new to our church right now. You've been coming maybe a week or two or a month or two. And even before I got into this message, you saw the word giving. You thought, oh, here we go. Another church that just wants my money. Listen, we don't just want your money. 
And the reality is we're getting ready to move into a building and hundreds of new people are going to start coming to our church and looking at our church. And it's a great opportunity for us to teach them the gospel and help them understand who Jesus is. And if we move in a building and immediately start talking about money, we're going to have a lot of people who say no to Jesus because they think all we want is their money. So we're getting ready to move into a season where we're scattering seed. And Jesus said when you scatter seed where people are worried about money, a lot of people won't want anything to do with Jesus. So we know we have to harvest before we plant. So now is a good time to talk about money. If you're a new attender, don't worry about giving. Don't let this turn you off. As a matter of fact, just sit back and listen and learn and understand why our church has such a heart to give but feel zero compulsion to give. As a matter of fact, if you were planning to give today, don't. Wait for the entire series to come and go before you give anything. We don't want your money. We don't need your money. Just keep it in your pockets and listen to what the Bible has to say about money and learn why we are so passionate about giving it away. But if you're an old attender, if you've been coming to our church for several years now, our hope is that you trust us enough to know that we don't just want your money and that you'll listen and that you'll learn. And if you're growing spiritually like you've done in every other area where the Bible said live this way, we're hoping you'll hear about giving and you'll live this way. And you'll begin to give like the Bible says to give. But I understand your money is not my money. But what if I were to tell you that your money is not your money? Like would that flip you out? Would you want to flip me off? I mean, let me, let, me, let me say that again. When I said your money's not my money, you were like, amen, preacher. What if I said your money's not your money? You say, wait, wait a minute, preacher. I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean my money's not my money? What we learn in Matthew 25 is pretty revolutionary spiritually because Jesus is telling us a story about a master who represents God and some servants who represent us. And Jesus kind of turns the way that we're supposed to see money in Matthew 25, and he said, you need to understand your money is not your money. We call this, number one on your outline, the principle of stewardship. See, when we learn the principle of stewardship, we learn that giving is not giving, it's really giving back. All giving is just giving back if you see money the way that God wants us to see money in Matthew chapter 25. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse 14, talking about this parable that's illustrating God and how God works with human beings so that they have and can give. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted whose wealth? I can't hear you. Whose wealth? His wealth to them. You see, the principle of stewardship says that everything we have comes from God and it belongs to God. That's what the principle of stewardship is. It says everything we have was given to us by God and it actually belongs to God. God has given his wealth to you to share with you. That's what Psalm 24, 1 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. And you would say, yeah, everything is God's, but I've worked real hard for what I have. There's a verse for people who think that way too. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You say, it's my power, it's my strength. Well, who gave you your power and your strength? Who gave you your ability? So stewardship says everything we have comes from God. Everything we have belongs to God. And a steward, not a word we use often in today's English language, a steward's a manager. It's somebody who's entrusted to take care of somebody else's wealth. 
So the master God gives some to everyone. But through this parable, we learn the master says, I'm going to give to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to give some back to me when I return. As a matter of fact, at the end times, Jesus said it's going to be like a master who's given to people, and he's going to come and he's going to ask, how much were you able to give back of what I gave to you? So as stewards, really we don't give as much as we give back. And maybe no one understood this better than King David. David who killed Goliath, if you're familiar with that Bible story. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, when the Bible says he was able to give greatly of his own wealth to God, instead of standing up and saying, look how much I gave, he prayed this prayer to God. Everything comes from you, and I've only given you what comes from your hand. I've only given back. David said, I just gave a massive offering, but that's because you gave me massive resources. David said, everything I have comes from God. And when I give, all I'm doing is giving back. If we were to take it one step further in stewardship, stewardship not only says that we have been, that we have what we have because God has given to us, but it says we've been blessed to bless. It says that God has given us what he has given us in order that when we give back, when we give away, we might bless other people just like God has blessed us. So I introduced this phrase at our groundbreaking night, that God has called us to be a church that's blessed to bless. And because we've been blessed, we're blessing our community with a church that sits just a mile from here on 150 Highway before you get to Prior Road on the south side. Because God has been so good to us, we want to bless our community with ministries that minister to their teenagers like we had yesterday and their kids like are being ministered to right now and ministers to marriages and teaches on finances and helps people through the difficult times of life. Because God has blessed us, we want to be a blessing to others. And that's what 1 Peter 4.10 says stewardship is. 1 Peter 4.10 says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards, managers of God's grace in its various forms. This word gift in the Greek language that Peter initially wrote it in is the word charis or charis. It's the word we get the English word charity from or when somebody gives us something. And what the Bible's teaching us is that God gives us charity. God shows us charity. God gives us gifts. God gives us resources. God gives us everything we have so we can manage it to help others. So the principle of stewardship says your money is not your money. Your money is God's money that he's given you. And part of the reason he's given it to you is so that you can bless others by giving it back to him. Say, well, how do I do that? Well, you can do that by giving a little. You can do that by giving a lot. But there is, believe it or not, a, a standard type of giving that God wants that I taught last week just a little bit. And it's one reason why our church has impacted so many people greatly. It's the principle of tithing. If you've not grown up in church or been around church, or maybe you grew up in a church that never really talked about giving because they know how many people it turns off. Maybe you've never heard this word, but tithe is a Hebrew word that means a tenth. Literally means 10%. That's what tithe means. The principle of tithing is the principle of giving 10%. And our church, JCI, has been fueled and has been blessed by the principle of tithing. You say, what do you mean by that? The principle of tithing says two things. But one of the big things the principle of tithing says is that any church that takes an offering has to give 10% of that offering away. So we will very soon, in the next 30 to 60 days as a church, we will surpass more than a half a million dollars given away since we started our church four years ago. Why? 
because we believe in the principle of tithing. What is the principle of tithing? Numbers 18.26 says it this way. Speak to the Levites, those were the pastors that ran the church of the day, and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. The Bible says when a church takes an offering, a tenth of that money, a tithe of that money is supposed to be given away so that God can use it outside the church. So as a church, we said from day one, anytime we take an offering, the first 10%, it goes away because we can't collect an offering without giving 10% because of the principle of tithing. But the Bible also commands the people of God to give 10% of their income as an offering so that the church's tithe will be impactful. But I want you to see this word offering because the root word of the word offering is offer. It's something that you willingly of your own heart do. As a matter of fact, many times in scripture when the people take an offering, they said only give what your heart is willing to give. The people weren't commanded to give a tithe as their dues, to belong to the club that was called the church. The people were not commanded to give their tithe as a fee of something that would keep them in right standing with God. The tithe was not a bill that the church sends out and says, here's what you owe to us. The tithe was an offering. God said, if you want to meet my standard of giving in a way that impacts the world, of giving to a church that will then give away, Give a tenth, give a tithe. You say, where's the Bible say that, Christian? More than 20 different places. I'll give you a couple. In Leviticus uh, 27.30, God says a tithe of everything from the land. 10% of everything from the land. Whether grain of the soil, fruit of the trees belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy 14.22, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. This tenth is going to go to God. And when all of our tenths are combined and a tenth of that goes away... Man, you're radically going to bless the community that you live in. You say, okay, that's good Old Testament stuff. What did Jesus say? Did Jesus ever say anything about tithing? I'm glad you asked. He did. Do you know that when we talk about Jesus and money, that there are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money, about stewardship? I think because of how much it's connected to your heart and how much you trust God. Do you know one out of every six verses, 15% in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about material possessions and how we deal with material possessions and how that helps us understand what God has given us and how we can give back? Do you know nearly half of Jesus' parables are about money and how we deal with money and how we should give and how we should feel about what we have? Do you know Jesus spoke more about money and how to use it than he did about heaven and hell combined? Because what you can do with money on planet Earth is actually more important than what you can do with money in heaven or in hell. So Jesus in money, there's a lot to say about it. And in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus spoke specifically to this area of tithing. And believe it or not, he didn't take away from it, he added to it. In Matthew 23, 23, talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, the people who were really religious, Jesus said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You give a tenth, you tithe, you, you tithe so much, you even tithe a tenth of your spices, not just your money, but you go into your cabinet and you take a tenth of your spices and you give that away too because you care so much about giving. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, tithing, without neglecting the former, serving and treating people well. Jesus said, listen, you give 10% and that's great. But you won't serve anyone or help anyone and you treat people like garbage. You can't do that. You should give and treat people well. 
And there are some people in our church who give 10% faithfully. You've grown up in church. Your mom and dad taught you to do it. Your grandma and grandpa taught you to do it. You give 10% of every paycheck without even thinking about it. But you refuse to serve anyone. You refuse to give your time. You refuse to forgive people who have offended you. You refuse to make peace in the gossip circles at your work. You tithe, but you really don't treat people well. And Jesus said that you should do both. There are others in our church, because you're newer to church, you'll, you'll do a lot to help people. You'll serve. You'll volunteer. You'll set up. You'll tear down. You'll go serve on the weekends. You'll give a lot of your time to help people, but you won't give any of your money as a tithe. And Jesus is saying you should do both. It's good that you tithe, but you should serve people too. It's good that you serve people, but you should tithe too. Jesus said it's actually going to be better if you'll be willing to do both. But to be honest with you, Tithing really has to begin with the command, not the cash. Because if this becomes a money conversation, man, who, who has an extra 10%? If you do, call me. I've got a conversation I can have with you about things that our church could use. That I mean, no one's got extra. No one in the building has extra. So tithing has to begin with the command, not the cash. And this is hard sometimes. It's especially hard when you have financial needs. You know, I was so excited about the 12% that our church invested in missions, and I never thought of it as more than missions and ministry until we started building our building and until we had to raise a million dollars. And I remember leaving the bank after we were meeting with the banker, myself and some of the men on our finance team, and thinking, you know, if we don't make a million, if we don't raise a million dollars, we're not going to be able to build this building. And thinking, man, if we would have been saving from the beginning instead of giving, we, at that point we'd given away about $350,000. I thought we'd have been a third of the way there. And I started thinking about what we had given away as money rather than missions. I started thinking about what we'd given away as money rather than ministry. And man, when you start with the cash, you never get to a point where you can give away the tithe. Because it's hard. I, I get it. I get in your life as I teach this, for some of you, this being brand new to you, you want to do everything Jesus says, but you're looking at this, and instead of looking at scripture, you look at your bank account and say, I just can't do that. You can't start with the cash, you've got to start with the command. You see, the image of God, being created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, says that we're not just blessed if we give, but we actually look like God when we give. We reflect God when we give. And I'm so grateful for anyone in our church that's given everything. For, that's given anything. We have people in our church that give $10 every Sunday. And we have people in our church that give 10% every Sunday. And I'm equally grateful for each of them. For, for anyone who's ever given a dollar, or for those of you who have given multiple thousands of dollars, I'm so grateful for anyone who's invested anything in our church because no one is giving out of surplus because you just have too much. I got, you know, I got 50 bucks, I don't need this week, I guess I'll give it to Jesus. No one's giving with that heart that I know of. Everyone is giving out of a spirit of generosity. But the question is, does it match God's commands to complete God's purposes of Numbers 18.26? The people give a tithe, then the church gives a tithe, and the entire community is blessed. Or let me phrase that another way, if that's too biblical of a way to say it. What if we gave away your percent of your percent? What if instead of starting at the command, what if instead of saying we're going to give away 10% of everything that comes in because that's what God's commanded us to do, we said let's, let's figure out what percent the people are giving. Let's give away that percent. Will we have made more of an impact or less of an impact if we gave away 
your percent of your percent. You see, if we start with the cash and we make it about money, we'll never make the impact that Jesus wants us to have. But if we can begin with the command and lean in and trust God together as individuals and as a church, man, how much would our community and city and world be blessed if we would, if we would do that? Because at the end of the day, tithing is way more about the command than the cash. Tithing really isn't a money issue as much as it's a heart issue. Tithing ultimately boils down to trust more than money. Tithing isn't, I've got so much I can give 10%. Tithing is, God says do this, and I'm not even sure how I'm going to do this, and I know one day I'll need it, but I'm going to try to do it. You know, when I talk, because I have a lot of conversations, I'll preach sermons like this, and someone will email me and say, hey, can we go have a cup of coffee, or can we connect on the phone, or can I ask you a question? And I'll go out with people, and almost everyone I talk to about tithing, first, almost every Christian who's really trying to follow Jesus, they hear this and they want to do it. That there's not very many people that I talk to who are really Christians who hear this and say, I don't care what Jesus says. Most of them say, all right, I'd like to do this. I can't right now. And they've got a big list of reasons why it's difficult. But at the bottom line, most people aren't in a place where they can't tithe now, but they're so afraid of their future. They're afraid if I give away this much money now, what if I would lose my job? What if I would lose my 401k? What if I would need that money later? Most people, when it comes to tithing, they're not afraid of not having enough now. They sincerely fear not having enough in the future. So they withhold from God. Their problem is not a money problem. Their problem is a trust problem. Because what they're saying is, when I feel confident and secure in my money for the rest of my life, then I'll, then I'll give. Because I want to give, and Jesus says to give. But what you're saying is, I don't trust Jesus with my future, so I can't trust Jesus with my money right now. I had five different people. I thought this was funny. I actually started counting them. Who, when the Powerball hit $1.5 billion, had five different people who said, I'm going to play the Powerball, and if I win, I'm going to pay off the church. I'm just going to give you $3.5 million. And I said, listen, if you win the Powerball, that's not necessary. You don't need to give 3 or $4 million to pay off the church. Just tithe, and we'll take care of it. Now, those of you who know how to do math are like, yeah, I got what you're saying there, Pastor Christian. See how that works? What those people were saying is, when I'm sure I've got enough for me forever, I'll help pay off the church. Tithing is not about you having enough for you forever and then giving. Tithing is whether I have $10 or $10 million or $10 billion, just giving 10%. If you have $1.5 billion, God doesn't want you to give 50% because you have more. He wants 10. And if you have $10,000, God doesn't want you to give 10 bucks because you have less. He just wants you to give 10%. Everyone does the same. But we look and we say, man, if I, if I won the Powerball, man, if I had a lot of money, this would be easy for me. But the reality is this. In this parable, we're all five bags of gold people. There's nobody in this room who's a one bag of gold person. You say, man, if I get five bags of gold, I could make five more bags. If I had two, I could maybe make two. But Christian, I'm, I'm kind of a one bag of gold person. If I lose my one bag, I don't have anything. No, you're not. Not on the global scale. Do you know that when we look at the United States of America compared to the rest of the world, do you know that 50% of the world lives in total poverty, no shoes, no consistent food source, no clean water? If you have those three things, you live in the top 50% of the world financially. You're in the top half. You're at least a two-bag-of-gold person if you have shoes, consistent food source, and clean water. And I'm not looking under the seats, but I don't, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone walk in here barefoot or without their bottled 
water that they drink. You know, 40% of the world lives in total poverty. They only have two pairs of shoes. They generally have a consistent food source. They have some clean water, but they have no medical care. Some of you look at that and say, well, I guess I'm not only in the top 50%, I guess I'm in the top 40%. You are. Do you know that only 5% of the world is what they call getting by? Only 5% of the world has more than two pairs of shoes. Only 5% of the world has a consistent food source. Only 5% of the world has housing and shelter over their head. Only 5% of the world has daily clean water. Only 5% of the world has access to medical care. Only 5% of the world has um, clothing in their closet. Only 5% of the world has free educational opportunities. You're looking at that and you're saying, wow, like I actually have all those things. You're in the top 5% of the world then based on how you've been blessed. 4.5% of... The more than 7 billion people alive are similar to the American middle class. And 0.5% live like the upper middle class to wealthy American lifestyles. Multiple cars, maybe a vacation home too. Lots and lots of expendable income after you pay all your bills. It's interesting, when we go on our mission trips, one of the things that the kids that we go minister to like to see are pictures of America. But more specifically, they want to see pictures of our houses. Because we minister to kids in orphanages who have never seen a house. So when we go, they ask us, they say, load up your pictures of your family and of your homes because these kids will want to see your homes. I think they've got a picture of me there in India with my iPad. And all the little kids want to see pictures of my house because they've never seen a house. They, They don't know what those look like. Pastor Scott was telling me about a mission trip he took to South Africa and the mission trips he took to Guatemala. And he said he was showing kids pictures of his house. And one of the kids asked, what's the big, what's, what's the big door on the side of your house? And they said, that's a, that's a garage. They said, what's a garage? And he said, well, that's where, we, um, that's where we put the cars. And he said, one of the kids looked at him and said, you have a house for your car? <laughs> He's like, yeah. We have houses for our cars. We're five bags of gold people. When you pull your car into its house and you turn on the water and you take off one set of clothes and you put on another set of clothes and you take off your church shoes and you put on your tennis shoes and you go to your refrigerator and you open it and you take something out, you need to remember you're a five bag of gold person. You have been blessed to bless. I promise you that. So you have enough money to give. As a matter of fact, I said it last week, if you make $25,000 annually from 25 to 65 years old, you're going to make a million dollars. You were blessed. You have enough money to give. In 2007, the Boston Globe said the average global pay was $1,700 annually. The average person in the world makes less than $5 a day. So my little girl, who's 11 or 12, is she 12? How old's Casey? 12? Um, who's 12? babysits for a living. She makes about $100 a month. She is much closer to the average wage earner in the world than you and I are. She makes about twelve dollars to $1,500 a year babysitting at 12. I remember when she made her first $100 and she came home and she said, Dad, I've made $100 this month. And I said, now you're going to tithe, aren't you? And she said, yeah. She said, now how much is a tithe of 100 Is it like $55? And I looked at her and I said, yes, it is. <laughs> So if you'll put that in the offering this week, then that'll be a tithe. And Daniel said, Christian, stop it. She was in there listening. Like, no, you only need to give $10 of that. So we're going to celebrate on March 15th what we're calling Generosity Week. 
And we're going to ask you in March, that mid-March, that mid-month March pay period. And again, if you're new to our church, if, if you didn't come until 2016, don't do this. It's not for you. But if you've been coming to our church for a while, we're going to ask you for that mid-month March pay period. We're going to ask you to really pray about tithing and figure out on that pay period how to make that work. And on generosity week, what would happen if all of our church gave a tenth? And then the church gave a tenth, just like Numbers 18, 26 said to do. And a lot of you are thinking, I'd like to do that, but you're scared. You're scared of what that could mean for you. You're scared of the bills that are coming and will come in your Matthew 25, 25. Christian, I'd like to tithe, but I'm afraid. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to hide my gold in the ground. I'm going to keep it for myself just in case. Christian, I'd like to give, but I'm afraid. The reality is we walk around in fear when we forget that we're created in the image of God. We walk around in fear when we forget that the Imago Dei, the image of God, lives within us. And we walk around in fear when we forget that we're made in the image of God and we're afraid that God won't take care of us, which is maybe why the Bible says fear not 365 times. Did you know that? It's almost as if God put that phrase in the Bible one time for every day of the year so that every day you could remind yourself when you face the things that scare you, fear not. The Imago Dei inside, the image of God inside you is there to teach you and tell you God will take care of you, fear not. So fear reveals that we're not living from the DNA of our Imago Dei. Fear reveals that we're not living from the Spirit of God within us that connects to the Spirit of God in heaven that says, I'm going to take care of you. Thomas Aquinas, a great church father, said, Fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take over, it drives compassion right out of our hearts. And I believe it can drive generosity right out of our hearts. Pastor Craig Rochelle, who you heard speak to our church on Valentine's Day, said what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. So tithing then becomes a trust issue. Tithing isn't a money issue. Tithing becomes a trust issue because we would give but we're afraid, which shows where we fail to trust God. So the principles of stewardship, the principles of tithing, They either reveal that you trust God more than money or that you trust money more than God. Which one are you counting on to take care of your future? So this parable ends with a really weird verse that I've not liked over the years. I've never understood it. Every time I've read it, I've almost dismissed it because I disagreed with it, to be honest with you. I've just just kind of put it out of my mind because it sounds mean. It sounds like Jesus is being mean. And as I looked at it preparing this message, I thought i got to research that a little bit because it can't mean what it sounds like. In Matthew 25, 28, and 29, the master who represents God says, Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And I thought, God, that just sounds mean. Why would you take from the person who doesn't have hardly anything and give it to the person who has everything. That doesn't even make any sense. That's actually the reason that a lot of us aren't given because we don't have enough. So you want all the people who have extra to give? And I started reading it. That's not what it means at all. This phrase, whoever does not have in the context of the parable, it means those who have zero spiritual investment, not those who have zero money. God is saying the person with five bags of gold invested spiritually. The person with two bags of gold invested spiritually. The person with one bag of gold, they didn't invest spiritually. So God said, I am looking for people who will invest spiritually so that I can give them more. This is not a lesson about someone being punished because they didn't give. This is a message about somebody being rewarded who was willing to give. 
And I looked at that and I said, God, teach me to give more. Because ultimately tithing, giving a tenth is always based on our understanding of stewardship. And I'll be honest with you. As I put together this message, and as I've, as I've kind of started this church the last five years, for me, tithing is easier than stewardship. Because tithing says give 10%, and I love to give. I think giving is one of my spiritual gifts, which means when I do it, I get more blessed than the person that I give it to. I love to give as an individual. I love to give as a, as a leader of an organization. It's, I'm going to tell you in two weeks why we give 12% instead of 10%, because some of you are still wondering, so it says give a tenth, why does the church give 12%? I'll tell you in two weeks. But it's my goal that by the time I finish pastoring this church, hopefully in my 60s sometime, if God lets me live that way, I've said this many times, that our church will have given away $10 million. It's one of my written goals that our church will give away $10 million. I love to give. Tithing is easy for me as an individual and as a leader of Journey Church International. But stewardship, this thought that everything is God, everything is God's. I've learned that I've struggled with that. Because one reason I believe in tithing so much is because God still gives me 90%. I think that's a pretty good deal. God gets 10, I get 90 and every now and then I'm reminded, God said, no, no, no. It's not that I get 10 and you get 90. Actually, I get 100, but all I'm asking for is 10 right now. But every now and then I might ask for more from you. When Danielle and I decided to leave our jobs and move to Lee Summit and start this church, we sold our house where we lived. And we had our friends who came over and they helped us pack up everything and our truck to move. I had already quit my job. I had one month left that I was going to get paid before I'd be cut off the payroll, cut off the health insurance. I had just opened a bank account for our church. It had a couple hundred dollars in it. And I was trying to get a loan on a foreclosed home that I was going to buy over here in this community. And the loan had not gone through yet because they knew I was kind of in an unstable work situation. But my accountant told me, if you don't get a loan before you quit this job, it's going to be three to five years because no one's going to give you a loan based on income from a startup church. It's just not going to happen. So on the day that we packed up our house and we closed the U-Haul, our friends who were there helping us move, I remember as we shut the U-Haul for the last time, one of my friends said, where are we going to help you unload tomorrow? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I don't know. So what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, we're trying to get a house, but it hadn't gone through yet. I don't know if we're going to have to move to an apartment. God told me to go, but he's not shown me the next step yet. So all I can do is pack up the truck and get ready to go, but I don't know what's next. I remember that night, Danielle and I were staying with family. We're staying in a guest bedroom. We're laying in bed sleeping. My kids were sleeping together in a bed across the hallway. Everything that I owned, all of it, everything that I owned, did I even say that? Everything God had given me was packed up in a U-Haul on the driveway. And I remember laying in bed that night thinking, man, if God can't be trusted, I'm in trouble. I've quit my job. I don't have a house. I might not have a house now for a couple years. I've packed up all my stuff. I don't have any money. All I know is that God has told me that if I would leave and start this church, he would take care of me. But God, I, I pray to God all this is real. And I'll never forget that night. I mean, I can remember like it was yesterday, but I hadn't thought about it for a while. As a matter of fact, I didn't think about it until about three weeks ago. I was watching Sports Center after the AFC and NFC Championship football games. And as you know, the Denver Broncos, for those of you football fans, won the AFC Championship game. And Peyton Manning was doing an interview after the game. And he brought his little boy to the interview stand with him um, to go out and watch. 
And after about 10 seconds in front of the huge media bank, his kid got scared to death and he ended up, the rest of the interview, standing like this. As you might know, Peyton Manning likes to put his butt in people's faces, including his son, for those of you who keep up with sports. If you don't, that makes no sense to you. But his, his, kid, his kid watched the rest of the interview hiding behind his dad. And as I looked at that picture on the screen, it triggered that night laying in bed Wondering what my future was going to look like. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that says when you're scared, sometimes you just have to shelter or hide in the shadow of the Almighty. You just have to go kind of sit behind your father and say, I am scared to death of what's in front of me. But if you will go first, I'll follow you. That night laying in that bed in Stillwell, Kansas, with everything God had given me sitting in a truck, my two kids sleeping together in a bed, having no idea what was next. A week later, the mortgage would go through, and man, it's been, a, it's been a great ride. But on that night, the principle of stewardship that God has given you everything and can be trusted with everything, that night that was put to the test. And all I could do was crawl behind my heavenly father and say, God, man, I hope this works, but I trust you. You know, as you begin your tithing journey, as you begin thinking about praying about your tithing journey, some of you are not going to be able to face the future except by sitting down in the shadow of God and saying, God, I have no idea how this is going to work. However, if you've said this is how I'm supposed to give, I will give this way and I will trust you. But that takes two things. You have to believe that God is a good father. One, that he's a father, that he loves you, that he'll provide for you. Two, that he's good. You have to believe God is good. You have to believe that when it gets really hard, he's still there and he's going to take care of you. Tithing takes believing that God is good and that God is a father. So as we close today, we're going to reflect on that thought. I'm going to have our band come and we're going to sing that song, Good, Good Father, one of my favorite songs. Almost every time it comes on the radio in my car, I start crying, thinking about how good of a father God is. And as, as I challenge you to release the spiritual DNA in your life and give, what I'm doing is I'm challenging you to trust God at a new level. I'm challenging you to obey God at a new level. I'm challenging you to live in faith at a new level. And I'm challenging you to believe that God is good and that God is a father at a new level. And I'm believing that if you do that, You'll experience what I've experienced, that God is good and that he's a father and that he'll always take care of you if you do what he asks you to do.